And so I want to continue one more time down this road of reading from Ephesians 6. And I'm going to do something. I'm not actually reading from the New Bible today. I'm going to read from an old one. And I I can't remember where I got this. It's um, called the Woost New Testament, an expanded translation. In the 1960s, Dr. Woost translated the New Testament. And what he did is he, he didn't correct the English uh, sentences like we would normally expect. So sometimes when you hear him translating the scriptures, he's following the Greek and, uh, and the Aramaic, and he's not following uh, sentence structure that you and I would be used to. So it sounds a little like Pennsylvania Dutch, you know, you know, say where you kind of say things backwards. But I give you a, a, just a flavor of what Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 17 sounds like in the Woost uh, translation, which, by the way, I'm just going to say, I think that this book came to me from Judy's uh, grandfather, who was a minister in the Assemblies of God. And when he passed away, the books were given away, and I I think that's where I got this one. Still in print. W-U-E-S-T, Woost. Finally, be constantly strengthened in the Lord and in the active efficacy of the might that is inherent in him. Clothe yourself with the full armor of God to the end that you will be able to hold your ground against the stratagems of the devil. Because our wrestling is not against blood and flesh, but against the principalities, against the authorities, against the world rulers of darkness, against spirit forces of perniciousness, which means evil, right? In the heavenly places. On this account, take to yourself at once and once for all the complete armor of God in order that you may be able to resist in the day, the pernicious day, and having achieved all things to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your loins in the spear of truth, having clothed yourself with the breastplate of righteousness, having sandaled your feet with a firm foundation of the good news of peace. In addition to all these, taking to yourself the shield of faith by means of which you will be able to quench all the fiery arrows of the pernicious one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, through the instrumentality of every prayer and supplication for need, praying at every season by needs, by means of the Spirit, and maintaining a constant alertness in the same with every kind of unremitting care and supplication for all the saints and on behalf of me in order that there might be given to me utterance in the opening of my mouth in every fearless, confident freedom of speaking 
to make known the mystery of the good news on behalf of which I am an ambassador in a chain, in order that it that in it I may speak every fearless and confident freedom as is necessary in the nature of the case for me to speak. Put on the whole armor of God. So, um, in the context of one of a thousand, that mandate that the Lord has put on my shoulders, creating a change in the atmosphere by speaking life. In, in that context, um, the, some of the feedback I'm getting is the hardest thing is not necessarily refraining from speaking although that's a challenge in itself. The hardest thing is not closing your mouth and, you know, like, if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. It's, it, that's not the hardest thing. What I'm hearing and what I'm experiencing is actually the hardest thing is when it's time to speak and you must say something, saying it in a measured manner that imparts grace. And not out of the fuel and the steam of our emotions. Because that just creates more conflict. So the hard part is not shutting up. The hard part is standing up and saying what needs to be said in an honoring way. And in a life-giving way. Isn't that the hardest part? And so I want you to take that as a microcosm for what happens in the heavenly realm when believers armored up in God stand and praise him and worship him and expose, make themselves open and vulnerable. What does that change in the heavenly realm? I'm going to answer that and say everything. It changes everything. But our tendency is not to war there, but rather to war against flesh and blood. Okay. So uh, Chris is going to help me out here. Arrows are a real problem. (laughs) Um, By the way, I don't know who's praying for the eagles right now. I'm so tempted to prophesy. The only reason I don't is I know that someone would go home and bet on my prophecy. And, and God would negate the prophecy simply because you bet on it. So, um, arrows are a real problem. Injuries are a real problem. So if I am to stand strong, it's going to have to be in the Lord. And if I stand strong, I'm going to need to be clothed in righteousness. Last week I talked with you about the apron, which has the five strands that hang down in the front. And it has the purpose of functionally keeping your tunic down because the last thing you want to be is 
flashing the family jewels around when you're fighting a battle, you know. Holding, those, holding your tunic down. But more importantly, it identifies you. And we're to be aproned in the belt of truth. In other words, we are to be identified by the truth. Uh, Muslims in the Middle East call Jewish people and Christians the people of the book. And I find that to be truthful. We are people of the book. We hold fast to it. So the next piece of armor that is talked about, and, and by the way, you can't just say, I'm going to put on truth right now. You, you actually, and my appeal last week was that we would have a conviction that truth has a name. His name is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I talked with someone, and they asked me if um, our church was one of those born-again churches. Everything inside of me wanted to say, some days. And I, I actually suggested that it might be even worse than that. And I, I said, but I will remind you that we didn't make the term up. Jesus was the one who said, you must be born again. You must. There's, good's not good enough, you know. If I'm going to become strong in the Lord, then I need to also not just be identified with the truth, but I have to be clothed in righteousness. Righteousness, by the way, this simple definition, this is just very simple, but we can get a handle on it today. Righteousness is defined as right standing before a holy God. So... When we're clothed or when we have a breastplate of righteousness, the assumption is that you and I have come into a relationship with God and somehow in that mix, we, we are standing in relationship with him. And in that sense, we are righteous. So I, I, I just want to tell you, the, the, the reason for the title here is um, the problem of arrows. It's a real threat. Um, maybe, maybe for us more than even the Roman soldier. Arrows, fiery darts, spears are a real problem. They get hurled at us by the adversary. So in first century Roman warfare, uh, arrows were a very real problem. And so what they learned early on is that you need a breastplate. So in the picture that you see there, the guy is actually wearing a version of um, a leather breastplate. And, uh, of course, arrows could penetrate leather with ease. And spears. Swords, you know, depending on how you were hit. So it didn't take them long to see that the leather was not enough. You know, so they went to chain mail, not of medieval quality, but of Roman quality, which was essentially like metal washers interlocking each other. It gave them flexibility of movement and some measure of protection. But 
historians and scientists have been able to prove that arrows and spears handily go right through chain mail. You know, it just pushes it out of the way, you know. And by the way, you're trying to protect vital organs, as I said, you know. So then, you know, is um, <clears throat> the later part of um, the first century before Rome uh, completely disbanded, the soldiers, especially those who had some means, went to the, I call them the Venetian blind version, where metal strips are leather wrapped together. And they were maximum for protecting you against arrows, um, but the, the, the problem was that, that, again, if the arrow hit just right, it could push the strips apart, and you're still, you're still vulnerable. Arrows were a real problem. Slingers, the ones who throw stones, ask Goliath. They can be deadly. The Romans found out very quickly to use slingers, and that's why they adopted the helmet. They put the helmet on because slingers could take your, your head off. But the problem with arrows became something very relevant to the Roman army. And so what they ha had to realize is that a person could hit you from a safe distance and you could be just as dead, you know. So what the Romans did is they created a breastplate which gives you minimal protection, but at least it protects the vital organs and the strategy was, um, I'm sure that Jim could tell you better than I could, but you know, that, that the shield that they have, which was fairly significant, the shield blocked the man in front of you and you attacked the man beside you. And if everybody did that, you're good, you know. But, you know, the, the shield is protecting you from what's right in front of you. But you've got to count on your breastplate to protect your vital organs in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And the second thing they learned really quick is to use short swords, not long ones like I showed you, used swords half that size, and they didn't bring them up over their head. They actually stabbed with them so as to penetrate whatever armor there was, you know. I know that that's probably more information than you wanted to know, but I, I'm just going to tell you that, that Paul probably was a connoisseur of Roman soldiers. So he's seen them. He's chained to one of them. He looks at them and he, he looks at this and he's thinking there's a real spiritual application here. So the Apostle Paul teaches us uh, that to be able to stand against the tactics of the devil, you're going to need a breastplate of righteousness. And I'm going to tell you that is more vital than I ever would have given it credence until two to three years ago and I'm just going to tell you straight up how it is um, because arrows are still a problem flaming darts Paul talks about it the fiery darts the only thing worse than an arrow is to put a fire on the end of it you know shoot that at you you know uh, spears were a problem too. They only carried three. And, uh, you know, they could throw them something like, something ridiculous, like 75 yards, you know, which is ridiculous. And the, the end of it was designed to break off. But if it didn't break off, you just were impaled and stuck and you couldn't move, you know. But they only had three arrows they could shoot all day. 
So um, today, it seems like the adversary has no end of arrows. I'm going to look you in the eye and tell you, I, I, I know brothers and sisters who haven't survived because they didn't have the proper spiritual armor. And they became a casualty needlessly. So you're my friends, and I'm here just to tell you that by the end of this service today, I'm hoping and praying that you will understand, we will understand how important it is to be sufficiently girded in righteousness. And, um, you know, before you get all excited, um, there's a problem with righteousness, as you know. There's only one. (laughs) The problem with righteousness is that we're not. Jesus, when he came in his Sermon on the Mount, one of his best recorded sermons, messages, one of the things that he started aiming at by his conversation with people who were in various states of closeness to God or farness from God, And he began to say to them things that were outlandish in that if you think that the scribes and the Pharisees are actually the religious ones because they keep Moses' law and they make you keep it, then I just want you to know that that standard is being upgraded. Unless you have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders... And I know in my mind and in your mind, you say, well, those guys were hypocrites. It's not too hard to be more righteous than them. But the people in their day were looking to them as being the role models and the experts. And after all, they were teaching the law of Moses. And the law of Moses brought with it a standard that is designed for mankind. It wasn't going to make you righteous like God, but if you obeyed the law of Moses, you would be conducting yourself righteously before God. And the sin offerings and whatever covered you. And then righteously before your brother. So you, you had interaction with each other in a, in a righteous manner. But Jesus said, look, I'm just going to blow the lid off of that and say, you've got to have a righteousness that is, if you want to see a revolution, a spiritual revolution, it's going to take more than that. And then what did he do? He started drilling down on the human heart. And he said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. He wasn't correcting Moses. He was upgrading what Moses was capable of doing. All that Moses was able to do was to show us what righteousness looks like, but it couldn't impart life. It couldn't impart righteousness. So Jesus was trying to get the human heart ready to be slain before God at the cross with him so that we come before God and say, we, there is none righteous, not one. No, not one. There is not a one of us. The problem with righteousness is that only God is righteous. So 
when, 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 when Paul's saying, you, you need to be clothed or girded in righteousness, um, then he, 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 he's telling us, here is a secret that you need to know that in the heavenlies, if you're not clothed in righteousness, if you're not in right standing before God, you have no authority. You will have, and, and the fiery darts will just keep coming and people will keep dying. Hello? Am I talking to anyone? Needlessly. So mankind was created perfect and in the image of God. And uh, we were supposed to reflect God in his glory, but we fell short of that. And Adam and Eve, in their disobeying one command, created an environment where unrighteousness or sin was passed on to every man, every one of their children. So if I came to you today and said, I, I've got a question for you, and the question is, do you know someone or have you known someone that you look to and said, if there's anyone who walks with God, that's who they are. There's a righteous woman or there's a righteous man. And I, I know, you know, like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa and others come to mind, but have, have you ever seen someone who you say, in my mind, now there's a righteous person, please don't point to me. But I'm just, I'm just asking that question because what we want to see is, is, do we have a measuring stick? Are we moving in the right direction? Do we know how to go and define this righteousness? And if we don't, what can we do? Have you seen someone living victoriously over sin consistently? Have you seen someone living and walking closely with God and therefore you consider them to be a righteous man? Well, I know my problem is that the problem with righteousness is that we're sinners. And, and so <clears throat> now there's a problem with sin. problem is with sin is that it's worse than we think. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, he shows us that when he defines sin, which, by the way, you wouldn't use Moses to do, to define what Paul is saying, and you wouldn't use Paul to define what Moses was saying, but when Paul uses the word sin in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, sometimes he is talking about sin in one of four different ways. It's a, either an act of disobedience, or it's a power that deceives us. Sin is a master that rules over us. Sin is a law excuse me, or a principle that wars against us. That's the way Paul uses it. So it's deeper than just missing the mark, you know. I mean, <clears throat> you know. And then he sums it up by saying, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <clears throat> Adam, Adam, <clears throat> Adam and Eve were created pure and morally upright, and they reflected God's image, and they reflected his glory. But one act of disobedience... And the whole thing came unglued. And I, I just, I'm really running short on time, but I, I, because people want to question certain things in our society today, I want to take you to Romans chapter 1. And I, I want you to hear the condition that Paul diagnosed um, his day. And if it's true of his day, then, you know, it, it's probably true of our day too, you know. But in Romans <clears throat> Chapter 1, um, it, the problem starts with not being um, devoted to truth. 
And um, by the way, I printed these verses out. So if you want to read them, just raise your hand and Troy will bring them around to you. Um, I just forgot about that. Okay, here we go. And so I'm going to look at verse number uh, 14 in in, uh, Romans chapter 1. I'm sorry, 24, not 14, 24. Romans 1, 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul can't help himself. He just goes into worship right there. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, you know. So started with Adam and Eve in the garden before God. And then in the next few chapters, then mankind falls so far that they, they actually try to forget God, try to factor him out of the equation. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And I know that that's like R-rated stuff there, you know. You wouldn't want your young kids reading this. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. I'm describing Netflix right now. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're all whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, here's the part, but they also approve of those who practice them. Which is basically saying, you can't say, well, you know, I'm, I'm straight, I'm you know, heterosexual, but, you know, love is love, and I'm, you know, not going to tell you who you should love or who you shouldn't love. I'm I'm just going to tell you that in my lifetime, I I grew through the 60s, so I saw it. I've seen it all. You know, it's, it's just going downhill fast. So, problem with sin is that it's worse than we thought. (laughs) Okay? Now, I want to tell you about the problem with the devil because he exploits our sin is that the devil will never tell you the full truth he knows that he can't get away without some truth but he doesn't tell the whole truth like for example when I sin he comes and accuses me of it it's worse than that he'll tempt me to sin lure me into it 
And my flesh already wants to sin, right? And then when I fall in it, then he comes on the other side and accuses me of not being very righteous because I fell into sin. Do you know what I'm saying? This is how it works. It's how the game is played. The problem with the devil and his flaming arrows is he tells you the truth, but not the whole truth. Now I want to talk about the good news because we're out of time. And I, I want to get there very quickly. The good news, obviously, is that it's in the midst of our ungodliness and our sin that God sent his own son to die for us. He paid the penalty. That's deeper than we think. The just for the unjust. He became sin. The one who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the good news is actually really better than we give it credit we get stuck in the problem with sin part we get problem stuck in the problem with the devil part but um i'm just going to fix this once and for all thank god you're here today we're going to fix it once and for all it's going to be settled after today the good news is this if you want to see someone righteous look in a mirror if you want to see someone who is truly righteous Look in a mirror. Because if you have received Jesus Christ, if you accepted his grace, if you've welcomed him in your heart, if you have fallen in love with Jesus, in other words, if I have confessed my sins and I have received his forgiveness... And invited Jesus to live within me. The youngest believer in Christ and the oldest, most mature believer are equal before God. Neither is more righteous than the other. They equally are clothed in the righteousness of Christ because it's given to us as a gift. It is imputed to us it, I, and I know that you and I want to talk about but there's the other side the sanctification side that's for another day I, but I want to solve this today this will solve the problem not arrows will continue to come if you keep looking in the mirror and all you see is your sin, the arrows will continue to come and eventually you'll become a casualty. But if you look in the mirror of God's word and you see the reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ and you say yes to him, the righteousness of God will come and clothe you. You will be as righteous as Jesus. You will be accepted as Jesus is accepted. You will inherit the relationship Jesus has with his father and before the father you stand righteous would you please stand with me this is better news than you think because I'm telling you there is no substitute you and I must know that the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us at Calvary has paid the penalty for our sin, the sin that we committed, the sin that we almost committed, the sin that we're going to commit, the sin that we haven't even thought about. He's paid for it. You are righteous before God in Christ. Isaiah 59, verses 16 and 17, God was so 
irked because he couldn't find a man who would intercede. So God, in his zeal, girded himself with righteousness and put on a breastplate like righteousness, and he came to earth and died for our sins. In Romans 3, 21 through 26, he tells us there, apart from the works of the law, God has given us a gift. And with that knowledge, when the flaming arrow comes against me, my accusation, someone else's accusation, and it's all behind the accuser. The accuser's behind it all. When that accusation comes against me, and he begins reminding me what I was, a lot of times what I wasn't, I just remember the word of the song that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That is how you will win. So we lift our hands, we expose ourselves, and we're vulnerable before God. And we have no fear. We come before him boldly and we say, Father, you know what I am without Jesus. But in spite of who I am without Jesus, I am your son. And you love me. And you clothe me. And you've put me the one place where you could never judge me, you put me in Christ. Hallelujah. If I'm going to stand against the tactics of the devil, I'll need a breastplate of righteousness. How many this morning just want to thank the Lord for this wonderful gift that he's given to us?